As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30, the 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is Anthony Pagnata with you guys. As always, Zach Hubbard is back with us tonight, and for the second straight time that he's been on, he will not be talking exclusively about recruiting. It's amazing, man. You're you're just expanding your role here. It's fantastic. Uh, but we're going to get into uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but, uh, man, how you been doing during uh, this time? I know it's been about a month since we've talked to you, so you're still doing all right and trying to keep a positive mindset about the possibility that college football can happen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely trying to keep a positive attitude, of course, as I'm sure we all are, but, you know, it's just a day-by-day process. There's new news that we get every day, um, either related to just the coronavirus at large or specifically related to the athletic program, uh, and specifically the football program at large. You know, it's it's a day-by-day process, and it's getting the best information that you can, not only on the team, but on the situation surrounding it, you know, all that you can do is keep a positive attitude at this time. Yeah, you're right about that. And, uh, you know, everything that's been going on, not only throughout college football, this week it kind of moved on campus to North Carolina uh, as a ton of COVID-19 cases uh, have been uh, reported on campus. Uh, 91 cases reported by officials on Wednesday, 89 reported by officials on Thursday. Now over 400 students have tested positive for COVID-19 since last Wednesday, and that's part of the reason why they are going to be moving uh, undergraduate students off campus, um, try to create you know a, a little bit of a safer environment for those people that have to stay on campus, including the athletes. And you know we heard from from Mac Brown that he believes that this is going to be you know kind of helpful to them to try to create 
this bubble around the program that he's been talking so much about. He's really idolized what uh, the NBA has done. That's been the one that he's focused on the most. I think the NHL is another uh, really good uh, place you can look in terms of what a bubble environment can do if you can create that around your team. But uh, you know, I, I think at this point, you know, there's a reason that all athletics have been halted since uh, since Wednesday night. They told us that they were going to halt it. Actually, Tuesday night they told us uh, that it was going to be halted. But uh, you know what? I, I mean. I don't know what we're really supposed to take away from this because they said today that there were no confirmed cases around the football program. Now, that doesn't speak to whether or not there are confirmed cases around the other fall athletics that are currently practicing on campus, but... I think it's you know it's tough to be overly optimistic when it seems like you know it's probably going to be at least another couple of days, maybe another week or so before we get any sort of clearance on the direction that the athletics are going to go. I mean, ha- how are you feeling at this time with everything that we've seen come out uh, around the on-campus situation? Well, it's like you said, uh, it, it's really hard to feel good about anything here just because um, you know it's hard to feel like you have a good handle on it. I mean, not to say that necessarily things are all going downhill, um, you know, quickly but it's a situation in which, you know like I said, it's new information every day it's new information just in terms of the campus, what the campus lifestyle is going to be, what the academic side is going to be and then the athletic side specifically with the football program but it, it seems like that it encompasses all of the fall athletics so you know it's a situation in which we don't have a lot of information other than you know thankfully there haven't been any positives with the football players in particular but it's a situation in which you know essentially um, everyone both in the program and us as fans and commentators are um, really just waiting to get clearance um, from the university of you know what's the next step in terms of moving forward you know with having a fall season well on the national landscape it looks like the ACC is is once again saying that they are committed to pushing forward um, despite everything that's been going on I mean look the ACC schools have been the ones most affected by this out of the gate uh, of course Carolina was the first one to announce that they were going all online sending students home NC State followed suit just yesterday and in between there Notre Dame had an outbreak as well uh, but there are other schools around the country that are having similar issues I know today Vanderbilt Uh, They had a couple of players actually test positive. So that's the biggest thing that I think, you know, we've got to make sure people understand about this situation is that this is seemingly going to happen at just about every school. It's, It's something that, you know, especially for schools that aren't, you know, saying that they're requiring people to be tested before they come back to campus, you're going to see these cases pop up, especially early on. And, you know, how they're going to end up handling it, I think some schools are going to go about it a different way. Um, You know, I asked a question when we saw, you know, that Carolina was moving to all online classes, if the fan base thought that it helped or hurt the chances that Carolina was going to be able to play this year. Most people believe it, it, it helps. And I think, you know, the shutdown for right now, my guess, and again, that's the reason why we're still so uncertain and that's why we started talking, you know, the way we did about this topic, is that it's really just precautionary trying to get most people off campus. 
you know, have things settle down a little bit before they get the guys back out there. Try to keep it as safe as possible. But, you know, we don't know if there are, you know, some of the other athletes on campus have tested positive, like we said. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately there's still a positive mindset, especially from head coach Mac Brown. Uh, about the fact that this team will be able to get out there, they will be able to play, and it will be on September 12th as long as everything keeps going the way it is for Carolina, the way it is for Syracuse, and the way it is for everyone else around the ACC. Um, now, I was originally right. It was Wednesday evening when they said it would be halted for at least 24 hours. On Thursday evening, they extended it into Friday, and then, of course, earlier tonight, they extended it till tomorrow. I think that's just kind of going to be how we're going to go about this. I think they'll just kind of take it day by day, uh, which is pretty much what we're all doing as a society right now anyways. Um, but they'll just, you know, take it day by day, see, you know, how comfortable they feel about that next day, if they feel like the cases have gone down to a point where they feel like guys should be able to go back out there. That's probably when they're going to be able to send the guys back out there. Um, and as we mentioned, uh, as of right now, there are still no confirmed positives around the football program. That's the good thing. Uh, they're going to keep testing the guys probably, you know, every other day, uh, something like that. It's gotten up to that, um, especially during this time where there's been, uh, you know, a lot of these positive tests on campus. So, of course, we'll keep you posted on all of that on the Heel Tough blog website. But we'll move on to some more positive uh, things. We'll move on to some of the biggest notes from camp, which, believe it or not, is already at the halfway point. Now, uh, of course, you know, with this pause, it's... Uh, uh, kind of, you know, going to throw things off just a little bit, but whenever they do get back out there, they'll be about halfway through preparing for that September 12th game against Syracuse. And so I thought we'd go through some of them, just talk a little bit on each of the topics. And the first one that we have to talk about is a guy that's really been getting just a ton of praise coming out of camp. He's done this year in and year out since he's been on campus, his third year here, and he has always jumped out to the coaching staff in the fall. And it's, it's translated onto the field relatively well. But Trey Morrison um, looks like he's made that move back inside to nickel after last year, you know, having his moments. Uh, you know, he was a little bit of, of an up and down corner for the Tar Heels. Some injuries sprinkled in there as well. Of course, broke his arm in the game against Georgia Tech. Um, you know, just really had, you know, his his struggles at times on the outside. But now moves back to the area where he seems most comfortable at Nickelback and has reportedly looked fantastic. I know that you are one of the big time supporters of Trey Morrison, a guy that has really jumped out in his first two years. Um, I thought, you know, as a, as a freshman, uh, I said, last, last offseason when somebody asked who I thought was going to be the top NFL prospect because of course at the time we didn't really know uh, what Sam Howell was going to be as a freshman so I thought it was unfair to put him up there and Chaz Surratt we had no idea that he would become as good as he has at linebacker. I said Trey Morrison was potentially the Tar Heels best NFL draft prospect. There's just so many great tools there with them so I, I'm assuming that you're not surprised either by the fact that we're hearing such praise for Trey so far early on in camp? No, not at all. And, you know, in the uh, 2018 cycle, as a true freshman, uh, Trey, in my opinion, was one of, if not the best defenders out there for the Tar Heel defense that season at the knuckleback position, which, you know, in my opinion, it is his natural position that allows him to use his speed uh, to stay with running backs and tight ends and slot receiver types, but also allows him to use his physicality. 
um, in space as well. And I think those are some of his two biggest attributes that sort of allow him um, to play a little bit of that hybrid role, not really the linebacker safety that has been discussed in the J. Bacon defense, but he plays a role that allows him to do a lot of different things, and he does a lot of those different things well. Like you mentioned, had a little bit of an up-and-down season at outside corner, had a little bit of trouble with some of those uh, taller, uh, lankier possession receiver types. A lot of cornerbacks do. Um, but, yeah, one of the best prospects um, from the 2018 defense and really just a guy that fits that position well. Having the additional bodies at cornerback with the uh, transfers that we have come in and Bryce Watts and Kyler McMichael getting Patrice Rene back, mm-hmm. getting Tony Grimes in early. Having all those bodies allows Trey to move inside um, and really flash what makes him a special defensive player. Yeah, I think, you know, getting everybody back and healthy, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, you know, getting Patrice Rene back, Storm Duck, uh, I think those are probably your two starters on the outside, and I think, you know, the best, they they just looked at Trey and said the best way to get all these guys on the field is to move him back to Nickelback, where he looked, um, you know, a lot better, I thought, as a freshman than he looked a year ago on the outside as a sophomore. Um, Yeah, I liked what you said, I mean, he's got that short area quickness, and and I like the fact that now he's going to be working against the slot receivers, which you know, I, I, you, your observation was spot on. He struggled against the taller wide receivers, the bigger guys that could go up and get the football because he does have a smaller frame, but inside in the slot you know his first year he was one of the toughest guys to throw on out of that slot corner position so uh, I I think that you know if he ends up playing there which I think is where he will ultimately end up playing barring you know an injury and they end up having to move him he could have you know a very successful season rivaling his freshman season probably even uh, expanding upon that because I mean, he's gotten some big-time praise from not only the staff. We've heard uh, quarterback Sam Howell has said that he's one of the best defenders he's ever played against. So there's a lot to be encouraged about with him. But him, as well as some of the other guys on this defense, have sort of been moving around, we've heard, early on here in camp. Uh, he's you know been spending some time not only at Nickelback, but he has spent some time on the outside at corner in case they need him out there. And he's also played a little bit of safety. Um, you know, One of the other guys, and I think this is the guy that's the most most intriguing is Chad Surratt has also seen some time at the rush end position as a you know as opposed to playing always at that inside linebacker position that he played a year ago and the staff said that they really want to allow him to put his pass rushing abilities on display because we saw it at times last year out of the inside linebacker position they feel like if they put him on the edge with his you know good speed off the outside um, really just a a heady player really smart not going to get out of position often and can still help you in the run game they feel like there's a you know there is a, a place for him at that rush end position if they want to go with some of these smaller lineups, potentially put um, Timon Fox down uh, on the defensive line with a hand in the dirt. I think, you know, the, the flexibility that we're seeing there uh, is something that we expected from Jay Bateman's defense. We expected that positionless type defense. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we saw it last year. The game that I go back and watch is that game against Clemson, but it makes some sense why. Why they're going to move Chaz to, rat, to rush end a little bit and, and see what he can give them there as a pass rusher. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we even saw just a little bit of his pass rush ability last year. Uh, there were certain times 
times in games where uh, Jay Bateman would rush him from the middle linebacker position or would you know move him out to the edge to rush him. So certainly he shows he has that athletic uh, ability and his actual um, high school play uh, when he played linebacker in high school was primarily at a rush-in-esque position, rushing off the edge, getting to the quarterback. So it allows him to use that natural ability. I think... Um, that as well as the move to have Morrison kind of play all these positions is uh, really due to the fact that they've had um, some guys step up at you know the positions that they typically play, specifically at Nickelback. We've seen added competition. We see guys like Bryson Richardson come back from injury, but we've seen two freshmen, Jaquarius Conley, really make a name for himself and you know try to find a spot either at Nickelback or safety to contribute on this defense. Probably, you know, definitely a contributor on special teams yeah. uh, this year. So really just, you know, it's already making waves as a true freshman by the little that we hear from practice, but a guy that can, you know, play reps for you there at the nickel and allow Trey to move around. And that's really like you mentioned, uh, what Jay Bateman wants to do um, is he wants to get his best best athletes on the field as much as he can, and he wants them to do a lot of different things. At the linebacker position, uh, also mentioned the nickelback moving on to the linebacker. Obviously, you have Chaz there and uh, Jeremiah Gimmel as the other starter, but we've heard that um, you know, now true sophomores Eugene Asante and Cotter Jackson have really stepped up with that year under their belt, uh, backing up the two last year after being true freshmen. So having that extra year, having that extra experience would allow you to have a package potentially where you could, you know, sub in Eugene or Kadri, keep Jeremiah there, and then move Chasserat down to rush the passers. So by adding in the depth that we've seen, not only by having some of last year's freshmen uh, sort of grow older into these true sophomores, but also getting a very talented freshman class this past year, uh, the depth for the Tar Heels has grown specifically on that defensive side of the ball. And it gives the defense, specifically, you know, with everything that Jay Bateman wants to do with all the different packages and all the different options to rush the passer and drop guys back into coverage, it gives him so many more tools to play with there. And uh, really just the potential and the dangerousness of this Tar Heel defense um, is only that much higher. And it's not only the guys that you had mentioned, you know, the younger guys like Eugene Asante and Kadri Jackson. It's also guys like, you know, veteran Tyrone Hopper, who has really impressed the staff so far this offseason. You know, Coach Brown said, you know, he really has made some huge strides this year. And it makes sense because this is the first time in a while that he's really been fully healthy. Um, That's another guy that looks like he's probably going to be able to factor in at that rush end position, could help him in the linebacking quarter. You know, I, I think that's a name that is worth keeping an eye on, especially with the fact that they've already said on the defensive line we're going to see a lot of different ways that they're going to use guys. Do you think that there is a chance that this could be the year that Tyrone Hopper sort of breaks out after we sort of expected that even when he was first under Larry Fedora and his staff on campus? He's just never really been able to break out, but it, it feels like this is probably the year, right? I think so. Uh, his body type uh, tends to fit more of that Russian position. So having him in a 3-4 defense really allows him to have that positional versatility a little bit more. And also, like you mentioned, uh, this is probably one of the first times in his career that he's not only been uh, experienced, but also, also healthy. 
and I think the you know, implementation of uh, new strength and conditioning coach Brian Hess's system has really start, started to take root. I mean, we had you know issues with injuries for a few years, and it was you know just a part of um, how things were going. You had guys playing with injuries, you had guys you know consistently out with injuries or out for the season with injuries, and so as this new strength and conditioning program has been implemented, you're starting to see these guys. Um, that have not been healthy become healthy once again or guys that had problems in the past stay healthy so I think that that's also you know one of the key factors that we've seen for the development of death is that they have the bodies from guys that they've had in the program you know for a good while such as Tyrone Hopper um, another guy in there that's been in the mix that they redshirted last year to sort of build that weight in Chris Collins yep. so you know outside linebacker uh, or rush in, uh, depending on what you want to call it, is a uh, position that we've um, you know looked at as one of the question marks on the defense. Is what is what is this position going to be? And obviously, we knew you know what you have. Demond Fox has been a contributor for years, but we've been looking for some of these other guys to really step up and you know be solid contributors and solid options within that position for the defense. And you know while we haven't seen any game action as of yet. Obviously, none of the games have been played. Just these little bits that we're getting, these little bit of you know encouraging bits of how these guys are stepping up, really sort of builds your confidence around that position. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that I feel much more confident about this group than I did heading into camp. Uh, seeing, you know, the the ravings about Tyrone Hopper, seeing how they've said Chris Collins has definitely taken a step forward. I mean, it was interesting because I think we all thought that the guy that was going to have to step up here and play a big role in his first year was Des Evans. Now, I think it actually could work out in Des Evans' favor where the pressure isn't going to be on him to have to step up and be that guy behind Timon Fox because you've got Hopper, you've got Collins, there's other guys, you know, they're going to try to use Surratt over there a little bit more. So I think it gives him a chance to sort of develop a little bit, something that he probably needed because even though he had the frame coming in, he probably needs to add just a little bit more weight to his frame. I think his game is probably where it needs to be to play that position, but uh, you know, it's still it, it's still a challenge coming on campus, getting you know yourself in a rhythm uh, early on, and especially with everything that's going on, so this helps take the pressure off of him a little bit. You talked about how that rush end position was one of the question marks that we talked about. Well, the defensive line was the question mark that I think everybody was really the most concerned about heading into fall camp, but from everything that we've heard from the staff, this group has looked fantastic. Uh, Tamari Fox has really taken a step forward. Um, they've said that they could use him at any of the three spots along the defensive line. That's extremely encouraging. Uh, of course, last year played a little bit, started two games for the Tar Heels, but had his moments where he looked good, other moments where he was just you know really struggling against some of the bigger offensive linemen that he saw in the ACC, but it's good to hear that the staff is encouraged by what they're seeing from him. You got Raymond Vowasik now over 300 pounds, um, which probably means that we could see him inside at nose tackle even a little bit as well, same as Fox. So um, I think that there's a lot to be happy about. Now, one thing that I did want to note, and I saw this the other day, uh, Clyde Pinder does have a club on his left hand as of Tuesday when he posted that on uh, his social media feed. Now, we don't know if that's keeping him out of practice. As far as we know, it's not. Um, but it is something to monitor because the talented true freshman was a guy that, because of the thinning depth at nose tackle, 
we thought we were going to have to see play a big role. As we know now with the staff saying they're going to move guys around, that might not be as big of a concern. But, uh, you know, I think, I don't know about you, but for me at least, my tensions have been eased just a little bit about the worrying uh, of if if we're going to be able to find guys to take over for all the production that left a year ago. Yeah, I think you've seen these guys, like you said, kind of step it up. And really one of the big, the big things that they've focused on is positional versatility on the defensive line. I don't think that on uh, every play or every down, they necessarily are looking to have sort of a true nose tackle or nose guard type like your Julian Taylor or like your Clyde Pender. So when you have guys that can step up and really play you know, multiple positions that you like doing different things at the defensive line on the football field. I mean, it really sort of eases that burden to have a true guy at the true nose tackle position that we generally see in a 3-4 defense. Um, two main guys that you mentioned, it's Mari Fox and Raymond Bohasic. Raymond sort of moving around on that defensive line. Tamari, more of a defensive end, but obviously a guy that you can bring in sort of as an interior pass rusher, uh, specifically on true passing downs or third and longs, things of that nature. Um, But we've seen sort of depth underneath rise as well. We're hearing good things about uh, the true freshmen from last year, uh, and Christian Barger and Kevin Hester, those guys are stepping up. Uh, the true freshmen that came in this past offseason, and Miles uh, Murphy and A.J. Beattie, of course, uh, Tedrick Bingley-Jones still rehabbing from a lower leg injury, but there are guys within the system that we're hearing are making positive impacts, young guys that are stepping up their game early uh, to contribute on this defensive line. So, you know, another part of the defense that was looking to be a question mark may not know exactly what we have yet but there won't be a lack of bodies in there on the defensive line it's definitely going to be some fun options this fall yeah going through camp is definitely a lot different than when you get out on the field so some of these guys that we're hearing having great camps it doesn't always translate but it's good to hear that the two guys in Voasic and Fox who you were looking at and saying they need to step up have really impressed the staff to this point. Uh, You know, I think that, you know, one of the other guys that you got to talk about there too is Zach Gill. I know that so far to this point in his career at Carolina really hasn't made much of a major impact, but again, he fits that kind of role that Tamari, that Raymond kind of fit so far in practice, which is, you know, being able to play a multitude of positions. I know, you know, when I talked to uh, Tyler Powell, who, of course, was there just a couple of years ago, um, he graduated a couple of years ago. I talked to Alan Cater as well over this offseason. They told me that they thought Zach Gill was one of those guys to keep an eye on because, you know, he he's has that position flexibility. So I think that's the biggest thing that this staff is, is wanting right now is to have guys be able to play a multitude of positions in case. Something was to go wrong. You have guys go down. Of course, you never really know what could happen with everything that's been going on with COVID-19. So they want to have these guys prepared. And as we've talked about so much, they want to be able to throw these different packages out. Like, uh, you know, I know in recent years, people used to call them the NASCAR packages where you'd rather you you put a defensive end in the middle at, at defensive tackle or nose tackle. You get a quicker group of guys out there on the field. That would probably be 
when you would move Chast around out to that rush end position. So I think what this is doing is this is allowing the staff more flexibility, something that we didn't think we were going to be able to see this year because of how many guys were going to have to be replaced. But some really good things coming out on the defensive line. You go over to the other side of the trenches, it's a little bit of a different story. Right now, I mean, the offensive line, it is producing one of the best battles on the team, and that's because they have two guys there that have some talent that they think are going to be uh, potential, uh, potentially good players for this team again this year. But they also seem to have some really big concerns here. The battle that we're talking about is, of course, at center, Brian Anderson, the veteran versus Ty Murray, uh, who comes in uh, off of a true freshman season where he didn't play a whole lot, but really impressed the staff in camp. And I remember when he was brought in by this staff, Mac Brown said he loves his physicality. And one other thing that Mac Brown has said, and the reason that they are going to let this competition play itself out, you're only as good a, of an offensive line as you are by the guy in the middle. So it really just depends on if they can find that guy that they like in the middle of that offense. Uh, there has also been talk that they are going to rotate both guys no matter what, um, but it looks like that is probably going to be a battle that goes all the way down to the end. Anderson being the guy that started uh, 11 games last year, uh, definitely probably came in as the early favorite, but I think Murray's definitely made up a lot of progress on him, and I think that's now why it's neck and neck. As Marcus McKeithen said, in an interview earlier this week, it's a battle every day for the position. But the biggest thing that I was interested by when they were talking about the offensive line was when Mac Brown said that Joshua Izudu would likely be the backup at both tackle spots as of right now. Now, part of this may be because Tristan Miller is, of course, out for the 2020 season. One thing that I wanted to get cleared up with that, and I am able to come out and say this because his dad reached out to me personally um, and, and was talking, uh, a great fan. Family. Uh, they unfortunately lost uh, one of their sons to COVID-19. Uh, Tristan's brother passed away at the age of 20 years old earlier this offseason. And um, Tristan is, is going to sit out the year and, and try to, you know, get, uh, you know, get through that, uh, which is something that I think we should all commemorate him for making that decision and, and wish him the best uh, and hope he can come back for the 2021 season. Some people have been saying that, um, you know, he was just afraid to play or something like that. That is not at all the situation. Um, please, I mean, if you, if you are saying that kind of stuff, please stop saying that. This kid has worked very hard. He's a very talented young man and he just needs some time to cope with a, a very difficult situation. But that's kind of left a, a little bit of a hole at, at the backup tackle positions. Joshua Zudu is the guy that they've sort of pinned there which we've sort of looked at him as the starter at left guard. And Mac Brown already said if Sim Richards or Jordan Tucker go down Zudu would move out to left tackle. So of course if Richards goes down he's expected to start at left tackle so they would just be uh, Izudu and Jordan Tucker would stay at right tackle. Uh, it seems like the staff is pretty hell-bent on keeping Tucker there as opposed to trying to move him over to that left side. They feel more comfortable with him at that position um, because of how much success he's had there. They feel like Richard's a little bit more athletic, so he'll be able to sort of uh, you know handle that blind side.
side a little bit better. But they have also said that if Jordan Tucker was the one to go down, they would move Asim Richards back over to right tackle and they would use uh, Izudu at left tackle. They'd feel more comfortable with Izudu going to his left than to his right. Um, That's pretty much what that tells me. But uh, Coach Brown did say he wants to have 10 guys ready to play in that offensive line unit if necessary, but right now he's concerned about if they'll even be able to get eight ready to play, which is what he sort of estimates he'll need for this season. So, you know, I think uh, the the concern, for me at least, has shifted from one side of the trenches to the other. I think maybe we were, you know, so focused on the fact that Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge left on the defensive line, but losing Charlie Heck, it might be having a little bit more of an effect than maybe we originally thought. So uh, with that, you know, looking at it, there's there are some questions there, uh, specifically about your numbers. I mean, like you say, you go through the starters that we've seen in Richards, Azudu, Anderson, McKeithen, and Tucker. There's your starting five right there as of right now. You add in a Ty Murray and then potentially an Ed Montillas that we saw battle uh, with Josh Azudu for playing time there on the interior last year. That's up to seven. So that's really you know seven guys that you at least have an idea about. Um, there's certainly other guys there. Uh, William Barnes was a uh, guy that we saw play a lot in his true freshman year. Billy Ross is certainly an experienced player in there. And then uh, Jonathan Adorno, the true freshman, has been uh, a player in there. He's worked at both center and tackle uh, to offer an option at that position. But, you know, it, it's really not looking right now, based on that statement, uh, there doesn't seem to be as much confidence in that room as there are in some of these other rooms, which can be a concern within the offense last year. Uh, offensive line was arguably, you know, one of the positions that needed to step up the most coming into this season to continue the success that we saw last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, um, there still needs to be some development of depth. But um, I, I think it is pretty lucky that you, you know, have guys there in the interior that can move out like a Josh Lasudu. Um, having two options that are battling there at center and Brian Anderson and Ty Murray, potentially they could work to cross-train one of those guys or both to be able to move out to guard if need be. Um, if, let's say, Azudu moves out to tackle and there's another spot available. So I do think that one of the saving graces of the offensive line right now is the ability for these guys to move around and to, uh, you know, to be uh, contributors at multiple positions, but yes, as of right now, you know the big question mark still remains on offensive line, and it's it's more likely than not a question mark that we're not really going to have a solid answer to until we really you know get down into games and and see the projection for this unit as well as the rotations of you know bringing new guys in. Well, when it comes to Brian Anderson and Ty Murray, do you think the veteran Anderson is the guy that they'll go with, or do you think that the more physical uh, guy that kind of fits the center position a little bit more more typically for uh, Mac Brown's offense will be the pick there? From what I've seen right now, it's still kind of split. Uh, from what I've heard, it seems that both guys are taking reps with the first-team offense, so they are giving both guys you know, a legitimate competition. Uh, to be there at that position. Um, the main thing that they've mentioned for Brian, Brian Anderson is, of course, just the experience of having, like you mentioned, started in uh, 10 or 11 games last season. And it, it's hard to recreate that. I mean, there's not really anything that you can do to recreate game experience outside of playing games, by definition. But 
know, we did see a little bit in primary. We saw some special things just to the physicality that he brings. So, you know, as of right now, uh, just due to that experience, I am going to give Brian Anderson the nod as of today. I will say that that could easily change just because we've seen flashes of what Murray can do. We all think that he's going to be a special player if he isn't already. Um, so it's it's a close battle. It's about as close as you can get. I'll give Brian Anderson the nod, but I'd love to hear what you think about that. I think, uh, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting competition. Like you said, the, the experience of, of Anderson is really hard to deny. But the thing about Anderson was kind of, you know, like we've seen with some of these other guys that we've talked about even here tonight. You know, we've seen the flashes out of him, but now we got to see the consistency from him. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, if Murray keeps doing what he's doing and, and if Mac Brown and his staff truly feel like he's that, that, that best fit at center and they could maybe use Anderson at guard if they needed him um, you know I think that could be an interesting scenario is let's say there is an injury that happens to either a Sim Richards or Jordan Tucker maybe Brian Anderson's that guy that moves over to guard and you have Ty Murray take over at center I think you know when it's all said and done it's going to be a very close competition it could extend into the early part of the year even I think Maybe they give Murray the chance. That's what I would do. I would give Murray a shot, see what he's got in there. If he proves that he can handle it and is the solution there in the middle and can help you become an even better pass-protecting team than you were a year ago, that was the one area you really struggled with, then go ahead and, and leave him there. See if you can't get Anderson to start working a little bit at guard if you need him there. Uh, but the the other thing is is if he struggles, you'll always have Anderson behind him. He's you know been consistent or he'll be a steady force in there. Uh, he's just got to find that consistency, but you know that he can at least hold his own in the middle. So I think Ty Murray, they might give him the shot out of the gate, um, but it'll definitely be interesting. I think both guys have a really good case. Um, another guy, you know, that we've talked about, you know, rotation throughout this team. It's kind of interesting. One of the positions that I don't think anyone is thinking there's going to be rotation at, and this has not been confirmed just yet. This is just something that Mac Brown said. I don't think they're completely sold on doing this just yet. But Jace Reuter at quarterback, he's healthy once again. And as we know, you know, he is looked upon as a guy that is a weapon in that backfield. He came in last year in the game against Wake Forest to sort of settle down Sam Howell. But what we saw was he has the mobility that makes him an intriguing prospect. We saw it a little bit on display in the spring game even a year ago. And Mac Brown said a couple of weeks ago that they may have a few packages in their offense for Jace uh, if they feel that he is 100% ready to go and if they feel that that could bring a different element to this offense. So, you know, when you hear hear that I think everybody from you know from the last you know 10 year span whenever Carolina would go with two quarterbacks it never really worked out that well gets very spooked by the fact that two quarterbacks is mentioned in any capacity I don't think that they're saying look I mean I know I actually I know I can say I know that they are not saying that Jace Reuter is in any way competing for the starting job with Sam Howell. Sam Howell is the starting quarterback of this North Carolina Tar Heels football team and will be until the minute that he decides to either leave early for the NFL or graduate. But I think, you know, it is interesting that they are wanting to potentially put a package in there, and I don't think it would be the worst thing with the mobility that we've seen from Reuter. What do you feel about that situation? I think that it's a situation that you kind of have to be delicate with. I mean, 
when you get into two quarterback scenarios, there's the typical adage of if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And while I don't necessarily agree with that per se, I'm in a situation in which, you know, for the most part, playing your guy, playing your best guy is generally the best bet. So when you do this, you kind of have to be careful. You kind of have to play it by ear. Have a really good game plan for it. Um, but on that, I kind of want to get into the main reasons that they would even think about this after what we saw from Sam Howell last year. Uh, one of the main reasons, I would say, is that they want to add uh, a running quarterback aspect to the offense that they couldn't really do last year uh, because Jace wasn't healthy. Uh, Sam's backup last year was walk-on QB uh, Vincent Amendola. So, you know, with it not being a scholarship player, they didn't feel comfortable running Sam. They kept them in the pocket more, um, which did contribute somewhat to, um, you know, if there wasn't an option to take off and run, did lead to some negative plays on occasion. But they want to have that as part of the offense. That's part of the Phil Longo offense. That's what he's done at all of his past stops is have the quarterback run as an option either within a read option or RPO or just have that within an option of the quarterback's mind to if I need to in their space if there's free space in front of me I'm going to take it so I think they want to have that as an option which means there are some instances in which you can rotate quarterbacks uh, Chase of course a very good runner a very dynamic athlete he's been that way since high school so if he's healthy and that's the best way to use him and you have some packages where you can yardage doing that, there's certainly an option for that, especially when you have uh, the two running backs in North Carolina have right now in Michael Carter and Javante Williams. I mean, imagine a package that puts all three of those guys on the field, uh, not necessarily a triple option sort of play, but just a play where you, where a defense has to respect all those options uh, in terms of who's going to have the football in their hand. It's got to be maddening for defensive coordinators. So I think that that's definitely a component, not only for, we want to be able to, if we need to, rotate guys just to keep them fresh and to keep them healthy, but it gives you options there just in your quarterback room in general. And uh, another sort of minor component very specific to this season is one that we've, you know, kind of discussed in some uh, sense is with the coronavirus, you know, being a part of any fall 2020 season that would be had, it's not possible that you can have positives the week before game and you might have a guy that can't play, whether it be, you know, heaven forbid your starter or backup or whatever. So you want to make sure that every position that you have depth and you have a game plan to use your guys. So while I don't think that it's necessarily going to be quite the QB rotation that we've seen sometimes at Carolina or at other schools in the past, I think it's definitely a situation where they want to have that as a tool in their tool belt. Um, I want to throw this out there just because I don't know if there's going to be a redshirt on the table. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some Jacoby Criswell, not necessarily in running specific plays, but just on the field in general. I've been a big fan of his, and I think that they have a plan, you know, to use their offensive players, uh, to use a, you know, a large quantity of them and really throw everything they have against defenses and, you know, create problems and expand on the offensive production that we saw last season. 
Yeah, I'd be kind of shocked to see Criswell maybe outside of that game against Charlotte if Carolina was able to pull away um, by a, a, a good enough margin, which I don't think is a given because I think Charlotte is is definitely a, a program that is much better than I think a lot of people realize, uh, thanks to head coach Will Healy, who you know we'll be talking about probably here in a few years whenever Mac Brown ends up uh, officially retiring, could be you know a guy that Carolina looks at as their next potential head coach, but. What you said about the, you know, having your backup quarterback prepared is interesting. And I think that's part of the reason why they may also be doing this, even though he might only be in there to try to, you know, sort of work work the read option, um, you know, which it, we'll probably see him still throw the ball a little bit. It's, you know, getting game reps for, for Reuter might be important because, yeah, you don't really know if there could be a period of time where you're without Sam. And if you think that this is a season where you can make a run at playing in the ACC championship game, which I, I, I feel like we all think that this team is there right now, then you want to have your backup quarterback ready to go in case that scenario pops up. So um, I think he's shown us enough. You know, here in, in the first couple of years, remember he played in that game a couple of years ago against Georgia Tech, threw the ball pretty well before getting injured. Um, of course, last year against Wake Forest didn't look great, but really nobody in that game looked great. Um, but the staff is really encouraged, and I think, you know, it's not going to hurt. This is not going to be a scenario where we're going to see Reuter in there for a whole drive. This is going to be a scenario where he'll come in for a play or two just to throw out a different look. Um, the other thing that it could allow them to do is, look, if you get into a game like that game that they played last year against Wake Forest where Sam really struggled, like the game against Clemson where, you know, again, he was playing against superior athletes. I thought, you know, even in that game, the numbers, the statistics may not have told you it was a great game. I thought he played pretty well for a guy playing as a true freshman against the national champions. But if there was something that you were seeing that you wanted to correct, you wouldn't necessarily have to wait until after a drive is over. You could say, hey, let's get him out of there. Let's rotate Jason. Let's let him run a couple plays. I got to tell Sam something that he's not seeing that could potentially cause him to turn the ball over or something like that. You can correct those on the fly now, whereas like you mentioned last year, you would have had to put in Vincent Amendola, and, and it's no slight to Vincent. Vincent was a guy that came in as a preferred walk-on. He was not expected to handle that role last year. He was a guy that was coming in. Most people expected at the, at the max when he first came on campus, he'd be the fourth guy in her depth chart because, remember, Cade Fortin was still there when he originally arrived. Then, by you know er, the early part of the season after that game against App State, that was your backup quarterback. So um, I think you know it, it, I wouldn't read too much into it. And as I said, they have said it's not you know set in stone that they're going to find or put in a specific package for him just yet. That's just something that's been floated out there. So I wouldn't be concerned about Howell or, or anything of that nature going forward. Um, one of the areas, and this will be the last thing that we'll touch on here before we go to our final topic, uh, one of the areas that Mac Brown has talked about a lot this offseason that he really wants to see improvement from this team 
is in special teams. Of course, moved on from uh, special teams coordinator Scott Boone. Ended up bringing in Javon DeWitt to take over that unit. And so far, Mack is pretty encouraged by what he's seen from this new group. He likes what he's seen from Grayson Atkins. Says he's got a really strong leg. I still think that there's a really good possibility that we could see Noah Ruggles handle the short field goal attempts and we could see Grayson Atkins handing, handling the longer field goal attempts. The other thing is, is I mean, if one of the guys struggles if you decide to roll with that person, uh, you know, either Atkins or Ruggles as your full-time guy and one of them struggles, you can always potentially bring in the other one, have pretty good confidence about both guys. Um, you know, Ruggles had his incons inconsistencies last year from deep, was but was very consistent inside of 40 yards. And then, you know, they are trying to find, you know, some new guys to help them sort of spark the return game that last year sort of struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, Michael Carter, you know, had his moments as kick returner. I think they're probably going to stick with him there. They've got to find another guy alongside of him now that Antonio Williams is gone. Um, and, you know, punt returner, you had both Daz Newsome and uh, Rontavius Groves, but Daz did not have nearly as dynamic of a year as he did a year ago. And for Rontavius Groves, really he was just put in down near the goal line. Uh, I, I My assumption is that they felt that he had uh, maybe more reliable hands uh, in terms of catching the ball uh, down near the goal line, preventing uh, any big time, you know, momentum changers, a drop or something like that from happening. Um, but they have said that Josh Downs, the true freshman, which we saw a little bit of this from him in high school. Of course, you remember when he was at uh, the, uh, I'm blanking on what they call it now, the Nike Combine. Um, Oh, I cannot remember. The opening. There it is. The opening. Uh, they have their little foot race that they do there uh, for each of the regions. And in the Atlanta region, he was the fastest guy by a mile. He ran under a 4-4 uh, there. Uh, I think it was in the mid 4-3. So he's got some speed. Um, they said he could factor in uh, in this return game this year. You know, when you think about this special teams unit a year ago, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I think they're, you know, they've, they've got their long-term punter in Ben Kiernan, but that was really the only thing that they've got locked down. Uh, to hear Mac Brown be so encouraged out of the gate, I think uh, definitely takes away some of the worry about uh, a group that we never really had to worry about when Mac Brown was on campus. Or, excuse me, Larry Fedora was on campus. Yeah, yeah, I think that they're going to sort of mix and match. Like we mentioned, you know, uh, some of these new additions are going to be, um, you know, in the competition there at really every piece of the special teams puzzle. It is something that um, the staff felt that they need to improve, and it's, you know, it's still a work in progress. Um, it, it's important just like the offense and the defense. So, you know, they want to be able to have better answers for the long field goals, like you mentioned. They want to, you know, throw a couple things in there at uh, punt kick return. Um, but, you know, it's something that they're working on. It's not necessarily the biggest thing, but it's definitely something that they're working to improve on. And um, it sounds like they've gotten a lot of, you know, at least encouraging results so far in that department. Yeah, and the other thing is, Mac Brown also said that he really feels confident about the fact that they brought in a lot more speed. The staff has recruited a lot of guys that are going to be able to help them in the uh, coverage games. That's another area where he felt Carolina needed to improve off of last season. But that's our look at uh, everything that we've uh, seen coming out of fall camp. So, uh, really, a look at just about every spot on the team. Uh, and you know, right now, I think there's a lot of confidence around this team. If it ends up taking the field this fall. 
or if they have to push it back to the spring. There uh, is a lot of uh, lot of great conversations coming out of camp, uh, and a lot of great battles that are going on as well. But we'll finish up the night by moving on uh, to our final topic of the night, and of course uh, we'll turn back. This will focus a little bit on recruiting, so right up Zach's alleyway. But uh, you know the NCAA announced today that they will allow fall athletes an extra year of eligibility. This will have no effect if it is in the spring or in the fall. This will uh, account for both, uh, you know, fall both seasons. If uh, you know they end up moving the football season to the spring, uh, then they're going to allow these guys still to be able to play as much as they want and then redshirt uh, if they feel that that's what they want to do, earn that extra year of eligibility. And that's the other key thing. So guys could play uh, the full schedule, guys could play one game, but they would still be eligible to come back next year. Now I think there's a couple of aspects to this. I think on the surface a lot of people will say, well this is this is great. You know, we could potentially see some guys that maybe don't feel like their draft stock is as high as they need it that are seniors come back for an extra year. Um, but the other thing that I think we've got to look at with this is this is going to potentially hurt a lot of these recruits that are coming in. Not only will it hurt early playing time, that's something that uh, was mentioned by one of the major recruiting analysts, uh, I think it was the other day when they were rumoring that this could be on the table. Uh, but it's also going to hurt the chance that you know some of these classes are even going to have enough room to bring these guys in. Now, the way that they can take care of this is by expanding uh, the scholarship limits for the coming seasons, moving it up to, you know, uh, one of the ones that I proposed somewhere around 88 or 90, give three to five extra scholarships. I think that would probably end up helping because I don't think you'll see as many guys stay um, for, you know, an extra year as you would potentially think. But uh, I, I want to hear, you know, what you think about this scenario because I think that this definitely has a huge effect. Uh, you know, maybe not as much on Carolina because if they were to try to get the extra scholarships, they probably could afford it. But definitely on some of the other schools, uh, some of the smaller schools around the area, um, you know, like uh, East Carolina and, and Charlotte. What, what do you think about the NCAA's ruling that they released today? Yeah, so the main thing that you mentioned is that um, – you know, this season essentially will not count towards a uh, college athlete's um, eligibility. So, you know, you get an additional year and you also have an additional calendar year uh, to use it. So it's not as if, you know, you're using a red shirt. It's not as if you just lose the year. Everyone just gets another year. Uh, another thing that was added in with that is that for the next season, the next fall season specifically, is that uh, senior athletes will not count against the scholarship mark. So if you have a senior, like you mentioned, that doesn't, you know, isn't their draft stock isn't where they want it to be and they want to come back for, you know, an additional year, they can come back and be on the roster for that last additional year without scholarship penalty. Of course, the school will still have to provide for the scholarship, but it won't count against the 85 scholarship limit that the NCAA uh, puts into place. So that kind of leaves you with a sort of fluctuating you know, number of spots dependent on how many seniors that you have come back. As of right now, looking through everything, it looks as if North Carolina has 12 um, scholarship seniors on the roster. So... You know, potentially, if you had a situation in which you had 85 other regular scholarship kids and then 12 seniors, you know, that's putting you at 97 total. There's a situation that can happen where that can happen, but at the same moment, 
Um, you're also going to be bringing in, you know, guys not only in the 2021 class, but in the 2022 class. Schools want to keep bringing in, you know, roughly 20 to 25 kids right. uh, every season, transfers, things along those lines. So it's more likely than not, even if you don't keep all those seniors, you're going to have transfers as well. It's probably going to be a situation, at least in my opinion, in which they're going to need to adjust to some degree you know, the scholarship limits maybe for a year or two, probably, right. you know, like you mentioned, by five to seven for 2022, then down to maybe three or five for 2023 and so on and so forth until we're at a point of normalcy again, just because schools want to continue to recruit uh, the number of guys that they're used to recruiting. At some of these big schools, it's not going to be as much of an issue because they have so many early entrants. But at some schools in the middle where you don't have as many guys leave as juniors, it is going to create a logjam. I imagine that we're going to see um, you know, some increased activity in the transfer portal, not only because of you know the scholarship sort of issue that you mentioned, but just because of the playing time issue. Uh, when you have that many more players, there's that less playing time to potentially go around and less... You know, a guy's just willing to stay on the team and essentially contribute, you know, just in special teams or just in practice or be on the scout team or whatever situation in lieu of, you know, a sizable portion of reps in a Saturday game. So I think there's a lot of things that are going to have to be tweaked with this. It's just another scenario kind of in this whole situation with coronavirus in which they're having to make up these rules on the fly with the nature of college sports and college football in particular. Uh, the design is not really for you to have a situation like this. It wasn't designed with coronavirus in mind. So, exactly. you know, as we said at the beginning of the, pos- of the podcast, you know, everything is being taken a day at a time. Everything is being determined a day at a time with the best information we have. And we're just trying to come up with the best rules and scenarios to keep up with it. But, you know, I think that there is going to, it's going to be an interesting few years going forward. I think there's no way around that. And it's, uh, yep. you know, for the Tar Heel team in particular, uh, a team that we've been excited about, the program, the direction that we've been excited about for a while, um, I think it's going to be exciting um, just to see, you know, the movement and see what happens to guys' careers and, you know, what happens through college football as a whole. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, you touched on you know just about everything that uh, I, I was thinking as well. I mean, you talked, you know, it's going to have to be a multiple year thing, um, and and you know the, the the thing that I think people have to sort of take into consideration here, and the reason why you've got to sort of be a, a, a little bit you know willing, flexible, and, and and willing to give them some time is we've never seen anything like this, anything remotely close to this type of scenario before, where um, you know. Got, they are going to allow guys basically an extra year of eligibility. Now, uh, the thing that I think is going to be interesting is we will see how they're going to handle it with, you know, spring sports if they are played. Um, the one that I would probably say, you know, most people will look at is baseball. How do they handle the amount of scholarships there? But for football, it's just so much different because, I mean, the amount of guys that you bring in, you talked about it. Most normal classes, what we were always told growing up, and, you know, as we've gotten a little bit, you know, more entrenched in recruiting, we've learned that it's not always that simple. It's really just how many spots you have left. Most of the time, you want a class of 25 guys coming in every year. That is so much different than basketball or baseball, where you're bringing in single-digit numbers in recruiting classes 
and those are considered, you know, big recruiting classes. Look at basketball. Carolina brought in a recruiting class of six guys this past year, and that's considered a massive recruiting class. So it's totally different. They're going to have to sort of formulate some sort of game plan. You know, I don't know how many of our guys would actually return. I can tell you right off the bat, Chaz Surratt not coming back next year. That's a guy you don't have to worry about. He's probably moving on. Um, I think for the most part, there'll also be a good amount of guys that you know will just go ahead and say we're gonna you know move on and 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 pursue you know whatever else in our careers because maybe they look and say we really don't have a great shot at going on to the NFL. You know, I'm just gonna go ahead and and move into the field that I went to school for. So I think it it'll be lower than you would think, but there will be some of those guys that could have tough decisions. You know, let like Michael Carter. Let's say that you know a lot of guys in this running back class sort of surprise and you know Michael has a decent but you know not mystifying season where all of a sudden he's moving up these draft boards could he look at you know potentially coming back next year and say maybe there's a better opportunity the year after um, you know for me to be able to get drafted into the NFL which I think is his ultimate goal that's where you're sort of gonna have these conversations going forward um, the good news and the way you can look at this is hey you know if Carolina, you know, doesn't end up landing anybody else in this 2021 class, which I don't think is what's ultimately going to end up happening, I think there will be a couple other guys that will commit to Carolina uh, as we continue through this 2021 cycle. But hey, if they don't, you still have a chance to keep a lot of depth on your roster if you can bring back some of these seniors. Because in that case, you know, Mac Brown could say to some of these guys, "Hey, you know, uh, we've." You know, we've got some spots that are still going to be open because we didn't recruit as many guys as we thought we were going to be able to. Would you guys be interested in potentially returning? So that creates an interesting scenario there, um, but it'll be one that we'll be monitoring as we go throughout the season. So, hey, uh, this was fantastic. What a great episode. Um, you know, able to get you back on here for uh, about an hour. This is probably the longest episode you've done in a long time. Um, but hey, uh, thanks for uh, coming on with us tonight, man. Uh, I know you've prob- you're probably uh, really excited that you got to get back in here and, and talk uh, something just, uh, you know, outside of recruiting. But uh, we'll definitely have, uh, hopefully, some storylines on the recruiting trail coming up. But uh, glad you were able to uh, hang out and, and co-host with me tonight. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a good time to come in and uh, discuss um, the program and what's going on with it. And even if it's not uh, recruiting related, like you mentioned, there's a little bit of recruiting pieces. And, you know, when you cover recruiting, I mean, you see the guys that you cover become part of the team and become players. So, you know, always good to come in and discuss really, you know, the overall what's going on in the program and what we're hearing. Just a fun time overall. All right, so that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Of course, we encourage you guys to head to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where you have you covered with everything going on uh, with the current delay that's going on with uh, fall athletics. We'll tell you when the team is expected to get back on the field. We've been covering that story for you the last couple of days. And also right now, in the middle of our in-depth position previews, we're releasing one each night to you guys, so make sure that you guys are checking that out. We're going to do all of the offense. Uh, up until Sunday, we'll go. Uh, the offensive line will be on Sunday. We'll pause for a day on Monday, put out you know the entire offense so that if you guys missed it, you can go ahead and read it. And then we'll head over to the defensive side of the football as we are nearing that first game of the year on September 12th. And of course, we'll have you covered 
with everything around that Syracuse game as we get a little closer to that. Of course, uh, also encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast by rating and reviewing. That helps move us up some of those rankings, mainly so that people that haven't found the podcast just yet can find it, can listen to all these great episodes, can listen to me and Zach, listen to me and Josh, listen to me and all the guests that we'll have on. I once again, want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the podcast. And as always, go Tar Heels! Thank you.